Yama. I'm Camilla Roy and Dungari woman Mali Silva. And this is Always Was, Always Will Be Our Stories, the podcast where I sit down with some of the most inspiring Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander role models in the country. In interviews and general conversation, people often ask me who my role models are or who I look up to. And while I struggle sometimes with answering that, mostly because I'm lucky enough to find inspiration in so many moments with different individuals every single day, there is one particular person whose story and strength is at the back of my mind as a constant source of inspiration and hope. It might be surprising to some, but one of my biggest role models is actually one of my younger cousins. Having grown up in the care of his grandparents, facing trauma caused by a mum and dad who were constantly in and out of jail and around drugs, and a range of other obstacles and tough times, the way in which he's emerged as not only incredibly successful, but also equally kind, generous, and committed to giving back, never ceases to amaze me. Braden Burns is a name you probably associate mostly with the South Sydney Rabbitohs. And while he is a great rugby league player, it's the way he holds himself and how he understands his position as a leader for the next generation off the field that I wanted to showcase in today's chat. We talk about his start in life, the realizations he's had in the ways his childhood trauma affects him still today, and his commitment to breaking the cycle, especially for his little brother, Dre, who he now has in his care. This episode was recorded a few months back now, and unfortunately, since the NRL season relaunched, Braden's footy year has come to an end with a terrible knee injury. Between him and Connor Watson, last week's guest, who did his Achilles the day before I released that episode, I think I'm starting to jinx all these footballers and should probably steer clear of having them on as guests for a while. But nonetheless, this conversation is one you absolutely need to hear. I'm so proud to have Brayden as not only my cousin, but someone I look up to every single day and an incredible friend and person to lean on. Now it's into the chat. So I start every single podcast with the same question, that age old one we know very well, which is, what's your name? Who's your mob? Where are you from? Uh, my name's Brayden Burns. Um, my mob's from Moree, um, Bogabilla and a mission um, near Bogabilla, which is Tumala. Um, Camilleroy man, um, I grew up in Dubbo uh, until I was three years old and then moved to Canamble, um, where I spent most of my youth. Yeah. And tell, tell us about Canamble, paint the picture for someone who hasn't been there. Where is it? What's it like? Um, yeah, so I loved growing up in Canamble. Um, it was, it's two hours sort of west of Dubbo. Um, I grew up with Nen and Pop, um, and you know, three other cousins and my little brother. So. Um, it was a sort of a small knit, uh, knit community um, where we, you know, we were very close. We had um, the same sort of upbringing. Uh, our parents went around, so um, we were all very close. And uh, being from a country town, there's not much to do. So, um, you know, everyone loves sport and, and that's what I fell into. So um, you're, you're living with your cousins and you're, obviously your nan and pop are kind of there as, as your parents and, you know, you've spoken about this before, but um, can you maybe describe, like, the the ways that your, your mum and dad were sort of in and out of your life? Um, yeah, so, um, you know, throughout the early years of my life, I lived with them. Um, up until three years old, we were living in Dubbo. Um, and then from there, I'm not sure what happened, but then we, I'd moved in with Nan and Pop, um, from there in Canamble and um, yeah all throughout primary school and sort of early stage of high school year seven and eight 
um, I was in Canamble and, and mum and dad were sort of in and out of our lives and um, dad not so much, he, he was sort of, when he'd get locked up he was in there for a bit longer so um, it was more so mum and um, she'd sort of get shorter sentences, one or two years here and there and um, you know everything would be going fine and then um, you know mum would get out again and um, you'd have all these promises, you know, talking on the phone and she'd be promising you like to fix her life up and sort herself out when she gets out and um, as a kid you're pretty naive and you believe this sort of stuff so um, you have all this trust and then uh, she gets out and you know she does the same thing. She's good for you know two, three weeks and then um, yeah they just fall back into the same stuff and um, it's not until now that I, I sort of realise why it's all happening. Mm. And I think like people would probably be surprised to hear anyone kind of talk about you know jail sentences that casually like I think like even just me even though knowing these sorts of stories like hearing you kind of be like oh yeah one to two years and whatever whatever like that's quite shocking I think yeah to, and to I, be think, comfortable I think that's, with it. that's the problem yeah um, you know it's such a common thing um with a lot of you know kids that I grew up with and um a lot of black fathers that I know you know there's blokes that I train with every day that they they talk about the same sort of stuff as if it's normal and um, I guess that's that's sort of why I want to spread my story because um, that shouldn't be the norm, you know. And a, a lot of blackfellas, um, you know, are in the same situation. So yeah. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think that's exactly what it does is we have to talk about it. Otherwise, it just kind of stays this weird secret that yeah. is not acceptable. But so you know, you you got into high school, and um, you know, how how did you end up? studying in Sydney for a bit and then in Bathurst like tell us that whole getting to boarding school kind of experience okay so yeah um like I said I grew up in Canamble and stayed there till uh the end of year eight I think it was and um I ended up being lucky enough I met a um bloke in Canamble who ended up being a really close mate um who was at Joey's in Sydney on his hill and um he, he sort of just suggested that I went there and and brought uh scholarship forms around to fill in and um, then sort of jump, jumped at the opportunity to get me out of Canamble and uh, sort of made me fill them in and um, we did that and went and had a meeting and I was lucky enough to start there uh, in year nine. Um, so I spent the two years there, there and um, it's not until I sort of sat back and had a really good think about you know those years of my life that I um, now realise they were probably the most important years of my life because that was sort of the first time that um, in my life, I had structure and um, actually like had real like rules around my life where I had to get up at the same time every morning and um, go to school, go to breakfast, do all that sort of stuff. And um, you know, it's it's that routine that sort of you know changed. I think what I thought about my life and actually opened my eyes to um, you know seeing different kids as well. Um, with families and their mum and dads around and stuff like that and that's when I started to realise that you know there's another way um, for me to live my life and um, yeah that, that's where it sort of opened my eyes so um, I spent two years there and um, you know stuff was still happening at home while I was there and um, I eventually sort of got really homesick and uh, one day I sort of just took off and um, booked myself a train ride home and uh, called Nen when I got to Dubbo, which is sort of three quarters of the way home, and told her that I left school and packed my bags. And um, she sent me money to get the rest of the way home. So she picked me up when I was in Canamble and um, sort of went off at me. And yeah, she wasn't real happy. Um, but she understood. She understood that I was struggling for a while. Um, 
and then yeah, we had a chat over the next sort of two weeks, and um, the same guy that that was at Joey's had left, and he'd went to Steny, so he's probably a bit of a, an influence as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I knew that there was another school that I could go to without living in Canamble that was still a bit closer to home, so. Um, I applied for the same sort of scholarship at Stenny's um, and I was lucky enough again to get in there. So um, at the start, uh, term two, year 11, um, I started at St. Stanislaus College in Bathurst and um, done my last two years of school there. Um, it was a, another rugby union school, so I didn't get to play league. But um, at the end of year 12, there was sort of a, a competition where uh, I could trial out for the Australian uh, schoolboys rugby league team and one of the teachers there um, sort of encouraged me to do that and um, I was lucky enough to get a manager and then um, that's how the footy sort of mm. started. Yeah yeah and we'll get to the footy stuff but I just wonder because I feel like the story of you you know um, being at Joey's and, and getting homesick and, and wanting to go home is like pretty common for black fellows who go to boarding school and, and leave their communities and that sort of stuff and I think you know there's obviously home things that you know, can't be helped or can't be, um, you know, affected by the school. But do you think there are, like, opportunities for for the school environment to be more um, supportive or, or just, like, even have more cultural opportunities for blackfellas or...? Um, yeah, I think that's the, the biggest thing that I struggled with. Um, you know, you move from Canamble to Joey's up mm. in Sydney and um, although there was, like, other blackfellas there, um, we didn't get to experience our culture much and um, it wasn't until sort of two or three years ago that I actually um, started to really buy into it all and, and start to actually, um, you know, really want to connect to my culture and understand who I was and um, where I'm from. And um, I think that's something that, you know, should be done at school because people, kids especially, do lose their identity and um, for a lot of parents, it's, it's for a lot of Aboriginal parents, it's hard to talk to their kids about it because... Um, obviously what they've gone through and inter- intergenerational trauma mm. and stuff like that's still something that's affecting them. So mm. um, I think schools really need to, to buy into that sort of thing and um, whether it's workshops or just getting, you know, blackfellas together in a room and um, like once a week and, and sort of talking to, to them about it and helping them um, learn where they're from and who they are. Um, I think that's really important. And I think like we look at the state of the world right now and like how a lot of this stuff is sort of at the forefront of a lot of people's minds. It's like equally important to engage non-Indigenous kids in that story as well, like getting them to understand our history and our truth and everything because, you know, I think regardless of your your home life, you kind of get that feeling of, of... feel like the old one out if you're in a school when not everyone else is Aboriginal. Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, it's all of my closer mates sort of understand because I've told them. Mm. If, if, you know, they're not around other Indigenous people who know who they are, then how are they supposed to know how to act? So, um, yeah, I think it's really important to, to give them that knowledge, whether even like um, if you have something at school, like a class or something, where mm. you can just go in and just teach them and tell them and tell stories and give them a better understanding of you know, what it's like to be Aboriginal in Australia. And mm. um, there was there was a thing I watched, I shared on my Instagram the other day of um, a black fella talking about it. He was an actor. And, um, oh, Main Wyatt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. talking about it and it was something so powerful, just him explaining what it's like. And I think that's something that um, everyone sort of needs to see. And it's, it's just hard because you share it on your Instagram, but you don't know who's watching it and you just want everyone to know. Um but I think the more we do this sort of stuff and the more we share our stories and the more we talk to our friends and um, 
you know, people around us, I think um, they'll obviously get a better understanding and um, just hope that they listen. Yeah, 100%. And do you find like, because like you said, your journey's kind of been more recent with this sort of stuff and, you know, my sister Keely is in a pretty similar boat around kind of finding her voice and, and being confident to, to speak out like that. Do you think your confidence in being able to do so is sort of paralleled to seeing other voices raised? Like, what's helping you feel like this is the time? Yeah, I think I think it's that exactly. Um, you know, you obviously see people like yourself and um, Isaiah Dore. Uh, he's doing great things, and um, it's just finding you know different role models for yourself and and people to look up to, and you know, it's just having that confidence to talk about it because. You know, obviously we grow up and we don't know too much, especially for myself. I don't know too much about my culture. And, um, you know, if you're, if you're not confident and you don't think you know enough, you don't want to go out and spread the wrong message. So mm. um, that's something that I'm trying to learn at the moment and, and trying to figure out for myself so that I can share it and be a be a stronger voice within our, mm. our community. And that's so cool. And I think, um, you know, the, the fact that you have this kind of passion to, to, to do so and, and really... Um, kind of see your career and what you do as bigger than than just playing football which I think like I doubt there's there's many footballers who don't realize that it has a bigger impact than than just what you do on the field but um yeah I wonder if if now we'll kind of go back to that you know finishing boarding school and and then moving back to Sydney and now out west being with Penrith how was that you know like that first year with football as your job, like I guess that I can't imagine what that's like. Yeah, so um, just back to that. Obviously, I was still I was doing my HSC, and um, that's when I picked up the manager, and I was coming down and sort of visiting unis and um, football clubs at the same time. And um, it actually, I, I come down and saw Souths first, and oh, really? I really I wanted to sign there in the twenties and study at Sydney Uni to yeah. be a primary school teacher and. Um, that sort of fell through, so um, I was actually I was going to live on Sydney Uni campus, and it would have been perfect. Flash but Uni, that, <laughs> but yeah, so that didn't work out. And, um, Got there at the end. Yeah, yeah. and so I, I signed with Penrith, and um, it was probably the better option. Uh, now looking back at it, and um, I moved down to live with house parents, and um, yeah, they they weren't originally from Australia, and um, so that was a bit of a culture shock as well. So. Um, I lived with them for for two for a year and a bit, and then um, sort of moved out by myself. So um, that year living with them um, was probably the the most difficult year. Mm. Um, I just moved back down to to Sydney, but I didn't have you know all the boys that I went to school with, and um, I was getting injured and stuff playing footy as well. So um, you know I was probably didn't take the footy as seriously as um, I would have liked, and um, you know I just wanted to live the life, I guess, and. Um, I was studying at uni and um, to be a primary school teacher and working as a teacher's aide at a, at a mm-hmm. primary school at the time. So um, I think that's what sort of kept me going. Um, but yeah, that was a tough year. And then my second year of 20s, I, I moved out and, and lived with two mates um, out in Penrith as well while I played there. And, and that was probably the year that I started to grow up a bit and um, really enjoyed living with you know two other blokes that were around the same age and um, had the same sort of interests and um, yeah I felt like I really grew, grew that year and um, at the end of that year we, we lost the under 20s grand final thought it was the end of the world but it wasn't because um, your team had won the year before yeah. hey when you yeah, were injured I remember I that injured, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so then we got back there and lost to the Roosters yes yeah. yes I do remember um, that <laughs> but yeah I was lucky enough to get a, a 
um, a contract with the Rabbitohs for three years um, throughout that year. And um, yeah, so moved into to the city and um, it was another shock because it was a lot faster and um, I was on the beach. So mm. um, the first sort of two years uh, living in the city, I was probably loving life a bit too much and um, didn't really do any study, didn't do much of that sort of stuff and didn't, I was focusing on footy, but I, I was sort of, yeah, just I guess joy, enjoying it as well. Um, so yeah, and then um, I moved every year, lived with the same guy, uh, one of my best mates still um, there, and and yeah, then you fell in love. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you, like, I hear you talk about like you know you being like, oh, I was just living the life, having fun, whatever, whatever, and you. You're still only 23 or you're turning 24? 24 next, next month. month. Yes, July, I do know yeah, you're in July. July. Yeah. Yes, I do remember that. Um, and, like, that's not old. And for people who have, like, normal jobs and stuff, um, this is, like, a normal time to kind of have that fun and relax and whatever. And I also feel like you were kind of robbed of your childhood a bit with everything going on. So, um, hey, I was there for some of those fun times as well. Um, and... But to to hear that maturity and, and kind of, um, you know, understanding, like, the way that you understand the, the position you're in and, and yeah. the privilege that you have in being able to do what you do is, I think, um, I think a lot of other people could learn from that, you know, yeah. not just in NRL, but in a lot of other ways. Yeah, um, with that as well, I feel, you know, when I look back at it, and obviously I am 23, I sometimes do get disappointed at myself because I'm so hard on myself and when I grow up. Mm. Um and I guess that's just how it is for me because, like you said, I feel like I was probably robbed of a childhood because I had to grow up so quick and, um, you know, felt like I was by myself and mm. fending for myself for a long time. So um, it's just, it feels normal for me. Yeah. And when people sort of say to me, um, you know, you're pretty mature or um, you don't have to deal with things yourself, mm. it's just, that's the norm. And yeah. that's, a, that's what, you know, frustrates me because, you know, I don't want other kids... Like, especially, I just look at my brother and I don't yeah. want him to feel the same way when he's my age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's hard. It, it, yeah, I, I totally understand what you're saying. Like, um, when you get into those habits and you kind of are so reliant on yourself, like, it's, yeah, it yeah. would be hard to trust that it is. And I, I honestly put it back to, you know, intergenerational trauma. 100%, like, yeah. my my grandma, she was solid generation. Mm. I just recently learned that. Really? And, um, she got moved away from her mum and family and had kids to, you know, a white man and... You know, she, now looking back at it, I put down a lot of the way she acted to, to because of that, mm. because she, you know, she didn't know how to really show, you know, a deep love mm. for her grandchildren or her kids, because that's something that she wasn't shown when she was a kid. Yeah. And that's probably something that I feel like I struggle with now, mm. um, to show like love because, mm. you know, I wasn't shown at all, you know, none of my family are and none of like, um you know, people that I grew up with were shown that deep mm. love. So it's something that I'm still trying to figure out and, um, you know, learning to trust people because mm. of, you know, I couldn't trust my parents. Mm. Um, stuff like that I feel like has affected me and um, it's stuff that I need to work through so that I don't sort of do the same thing to my brother. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's about breaking the cycle, Yeah, right? exactly. And, you know, like I've watched Dad 
struggle with it for the same reasons and you know it's just we were really lucky in the household that we grew up in and all that kind of stuff but um the fact that you're conscious of it for me like I feel like you should feel confident that you're going to get to a point yeah, where yeah. you don't even have to worry about it really only until I sort of sat back and tried to understand why my relationships with people were different to mm-hmm. everyone else's relationships and I started to realize like the way I grew up is not the same mm-hmm. and now that Dre, my little brother's living with us, me and my girlfriend, I feel like he's got that sort of stability and I'm just hoping that, like you said, it breaks that cycle yeah. and he knows how to, you know, treat people and, and love, I guess. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's a funny bugger. Yeah. So he's, he's off <laughs> he's, to a good start. We, we love him so, so much. But, um, yeah, no, that's, like, it's really cool to hear you just, like, talk about that really openly because I think that... Um, it's hard for anyone to talk about yeah. how you feel about those kinds of things and being self-aware like that. Yes, yeah. a whole other thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I also wanted to tell the story of the fact that you know, even though you're my cousin, that we've only really known each other since what I was eighteen or nineteen. Yeah, yeah? I think yes. I was nineteen and you were eighteen. So I was twenty. 2014, was it? 2014. Yeah, yeah, I would have been oh, no, 19. 2015, started 2015, mm, yeah. yeah. I think I still would have been 19. Yeah, okay, yeah. I think so. <laughs> but, um, you know, because we, you'd grown up in Canamble and um, to be completely honest, I didn't even know that you existed until my mum came downstairs um, crying one morning because you'd messaged her on Facebook um, and because your dad is my first cousin and I only knew about him as my oldest cousin um, who's mostly in jail, which is like awful, but that's what I, that's Jonathan, that's what I thought of him. Um, And then, you know, next thing I know that you're at our house and it was like, oh my God, like you are the, like, so much like us it freaked me out even despite like we've had completely opposite lives yeah like yeah. opposite but you just it just shows that um you know in if you're meant to have each other in your life you do right yeah exactly and everything happens for a reason yeah you know, people yeah are brought up differently for reasons yeah and then even the fact that you you know ended up playing in the NRL and there's just a lot of, and you look like dad, which freaks me out as well. Um, but <laughs> I, I wonder like that, if you could talk to that sort of discovery of this other side of the family that you didn't really have much to do with growing up as well. Is that kind of confronting? Cause I, you know, for me, it was just me meeting you and I was like, Oh my God, like I felt so guilty. Cause I was like, I didn't know all this stuff about you and whatever, but to me, to understand that there's this whole other, side of the families was that just like oh my god yeah it's it's still pretty difficult yeah. actually because obviously like all of our cousins and stuff and even my aunties who i didn't even realize were my aunties mm-hmm. they'd message me and, and stuff like that and um it wasn't until sort of Annie adina sent me a, a message um with our family tree that i started to actually put things together mm-hmm. and even still like when i come across people and when when I come to that family thing that time yeah. I didn't realize who anyone was and yeah. I, I think that's the hardest thing because obviously you're trying to figure out a whole different side of your family whereas everyone else is just seeing me so yeah. they obviously see the connection to them but I can't see the connection mm. so that's the that's the biggest thing for me is um yeah just trying to figure out that and navigate my way through that and mm. um I guess building relationships with you know people who I think um, I should and, and just learning to trust people who I don't really know really yeah and, yeah and yeah I think that's the hardest thing for me yeah I mean I can't even imagine it because yeah. yeah, just like 
because sometimes you kind of I've always had that thing that to a certain extent for me like I've had I've picked my family like I I have people that I have yeah. in my life but there's there's people who I'm like you're you're my family it doesn't matter whether we're related or whatever yeah uh, but that's over years and years and years and then you yeah. have all these like actual blood relations to you like oh my god like what is going on like that must be so freaky but um so yeah I guess I just wanted to know about that because it, it is a it's a weird thing, but I also think like it's another one of those things that can be quite common for blackfellas. Like, yeah, well, it is, and yeah. obviously, like I spoke about Nen um, earlier, she's scared to show me that side of the family because she didn't know, and I guess trust her. Yeah, like, she yeah. didn't know what um, if she did show me that side of the family. She, I guess, she just wanted to shield me. Yeah, of course. Um, to put it sort of simply, she um, she knew what her family was like, and and she sort of just protected us that way, I guess, and. Um, Obviously now I've got a long time to figure it all out and um, I'm sure I will, so I'm yeah, looking forward yeah, to it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it still feels like you're very much at the beginning of your career, but I know you have really kind of strong passions about what you want to do once footy's over and you're kind of quite realistic about um, the fact that it's not a forever career. And, um, yeah, I, I know that's one of those other things that – you, you have in common with old mate Rocket. Um, but do you want to talk about, like, why you feel like the police force might be the next step for you? Yeah, so it's... it's I guess it's a bit the same as Rocket. Um, you know, I grew up not liking police and not being able to trust them because that's what I was told from, you know, my family. And um, they were all locked up and I wanted to be different. So um, I, I see the sort of relationships that they have in country towns with blackfellas and... Um, I just, I just feel like it can be different. I feel like if um, there's more blackfellas in the police force and, you know, just more cops that can gain trust and, and build relationships with, you know, black kids, I feel like it can change the way they grow up because they can feel like they they have a, a role model, um, someone who's, you know, doing well for themselves and, and someone who wants the best for them. And um, that's sort of what I want to do and um, obviously Rocket's now doing a bit of work with the PCYC and stuff and um, that sort of stuff's where I see myself so yeah 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 and I think that again like the everything going on in the world right now it is that sort of messaging that we we need to hear and because yeah I, so many of us don't have great relationships with the cops you know and it just um, it is much better to know there's people there will be more people who kind of understand our situation on yeah, the other side yeah I feel like the the more you know people we got in those positions and even doctors and stuff like yeah. that it, it just shows younger kids that they can you know do that sort of stuff because mm. if you know in a country town there's no black cops and what are the kids got to look up, up mm. to you know if they if they don't make sport then they feel like they can't do anything mm. um, growing up in primary school and even the first couple of years of high school in Canamble I didn't like I didn't even think of uni. Like nobody yeah. told me that uni was something that people do, and mm. it wasn't until I sort of got away to a different school and you know saw that that was the norm that I started to realise that you know probably not doing anyone any good in country towns where they're not telling people about this sort of stuff. So um, yeah, I guess just more black faces in you know those sort of roles. That, better for us yeah i think it's that whole you can't be what you can't see thing yeah yeah exactly and and it again goes back to that whole thing that like you know no matter like who you are and what you do if you're a black fella like your success has a bigger impact 
on, on other people on our community than just yourself. So. Yeah, which is a privilege. Like, there's a lot of things that make it harder because you're black, but that's that's an amazing thing is that our um, like we are really connected to yeah. each other. Yeah, and I don't want like younger kids just thinking that like sports was the only way yeah. out because you know I'm lucky to be able to do what I do, and you know I know all of the other black fellas that I play with, they're lucky as well. So. Mm. Um, yeah, education first, I feel. When I worked for, with, like, kids in high school and stuff, it used to break my heart because every, every young boy I worked with was like, I'm going to play for Souths. I'm going to play for Souths. Oh, no, I'm, I'm going to play for Souths. Like, oh, have you thought about uni? Oh, I'm going to play for Souths. I don't need to worry about uni. I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, cool, cool, cool. But, you know, after that, if that happens, you have to do something. That, nah, I'm playing I'm play for Souths. Okay, okay. So it is, like, to for you to say that is important as well. And, like, think about it. It's because... We've got so many black fellas playing rugby league. Of course. That they we're see above that. population yeah. parity. Like, exactly. And they, we, they yeah. see that and they think that's what we do. Yeah. Whereas if we get more cops and, and more doctors, nurses, stuff like that, then maybe it'll shift the mindset a bit where they can think, you know, that's that's what we do. Yeah, there was yeah. a period in my life when I wanted to be an NRL player too. <laughs> because <laughs> of dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Jesus. I'm not, definitely not scary enough for that. Um, well... Thank you, Brayden, uh, being so generous with your time, telling your story as you always do so openly um, and kind of in a way that's so giving. Um, I guess my, my final question is just, you know, if you have any, you know, words of wisdom, any um, advice that you would give to a, someone who is like you, you know, when you say 15, 16, in that kind of fork in the road moment in your life where you got to make decisions. Um, we sort of, I mucked this up last time, so <laughs> it's, I figured it, the quote is what I've always, so when I was a young kid, I sort of saw it somewhere and it just stuck with me and it's, tell me who your friends are and I'll tell you what your future holds. Like, uh, okay. and I just think like the people you surround yourself with and you know, if they're ambitious and, and they got, you know, good values and stuff like that, I feel like you, they rub off on you. Mm. So my whole life I've tried to, you know, stick with people who I feel are going to make me a better person and. Um, you know, I've been to a lot of different towns and, you know, come across a lot of different friends and, um, there's probably five or six that are, you know, doesn't matter where I've went, I've still stuck with them and they're still stuck with me. So, um, yeah, I just feel like find yourself some good friends and, you know, they'll help you through life. Yep. And that is great advice. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Always Was, Always Will Be Our Stories. A massive thank you to Brayden for everything that you do, all the ways that you move so many people and for making the time to have this chat with me. If you are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe on wherever you're listening to us right now. Give us a good rating if you're enjoying it. Leave a comment or follow us on social media at Always Our Stories. This podcast is written, hosted, produced, edited, the whole bit by me, Marley Silver. And I do so on the unceded lands of the Dharawal people south of Sydney. And I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Stay deadly and I'll catch you next week.